So this is week 17 in the study of Galatians. We're in the middle of chapter 3. And the next few verses are a perfect example of why it's so hard to go through a complicated book like Galatians a few verses at a time. It's imperative that we do look at it this closely, at each of these verses this closely, but we lose context by doing so. As an example, the proof he's going to offer today in verses 15 and beyond really take us back to a couple of weeks to verse 6. So let's start with verse 6. We'll just read it. It says, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. And so Paul is setting out to show that the promises of God take precedent over all the works of the law. Or any of the laws given at the Sinai covenant itself. Because the promises to Abraham concerning the nations occur even before the Sinai covenant. He's about to prove the point that we discussed from last week that if non-Jews do not continue having faith in the promises given to Abraham, particularly in the faith, in faith in the seed of Abraham, if they listen to the influencers who are in essence trying to persuade them to become part of the Sinai covenant and to live as Jews, then they will have failed to do everything written in the book of the law. Because the book of the law speaks of faith. And they're going to curse themselves by not doing everything written in the book of the law. And to do this, he will show that the promises take precedent over the covenant given at Sinai. The covenant given at Sinai does not do away with the promises. We noted last week that he is not, as we have thought in the past, saying that the works of the law and the book of the law equate. On the contrary, he's saying that they are quite different. He's telling the Galatians, if you convert according to the influencer's works of the law, doing it for right standing with God and for covenant status, then you will fall under a curse by not continuing, continuing to do everything written in the book of the law. Which is a a faith in the promises of God. The book of the law promises that the nations will be blessed, will be justified through faith. And specifically, in faith in the seed of Abraham. And so Paul is saying that if the Galatians seek to be justified through other means, other than faith in Messiah, they will not have continued to do everything written in the book of the law. And they will place themselves under a curse. In this instance, the works of the law and the book of the law stand opposed to one another. The book of the law are the commands and the promises of God. The works of the law in this instance are the commands of the influencers. Well, Paul will continue with his argument, this time by example. He uses a teaching, a derash, on the word seed. But first he says this in verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. 
You know, there are some instances where a covenant can be modified. One of those being a will. You know, I read a lot of commentaries where the guys would take two and three pages explaining all these different kinds of covenants that could be changed or couldn't be changed. But we know Paul's intent here. Paul's intent is he's saying that a covenant ratified by both parties cannot be changed. That a covenant which is one-sided or what we call a promise given from one person to another is not changeable either. As Yeshua says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. Once a covenant has been ratified, it can only be modified by both parties. Both parties have to agree. And not just that, though, the covenant with Abraham was an unconditional promise, a decree from God, what we call a promise. So it, it's, it has no conditions. It just can't be changed. And Paul is speaking of the promises and the covenant made by God and Abraham. God's promises are not recallable. Nor can they be modified. When God gives his word, you can take it to the bank. He's not changing his mind. First, the promise of the seed is ratified by God and requires nothing on the part of Abraham. Because during the ratification, Abraham takes a nap. And so it's completely upon God to fulfill the promise. Genesis chapter 15 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And then when the covenant is ratified, we read later in verse 12 and then verse 17, it says, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17 says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. In other words, God makes the promise here and Abraham, he gets a good night's rest. But that's not the only promise to which he's referring to. He's also referring to this one in chapter 22. Verse 15, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Notice that God swears by himself. Because Abraham had faith enough in the promises of God to offer the very thing that God had given him to bring those promises about his heir, God promises these promises by swearing by himself. Abraham had reasoned that God would raise his son from the dead if necessary to keep the promise. So because of that faith, God swears by himself. Nothing required of Abraham. But because of Abraham's faith alone, God swears by himself and there's nothing higher he can swear by. And Paul's point to the Galatians and the influences, influencers alike is to remain in the promises of God. Trust God not to re- and do not remove yourself from the promises of God. So next he says in verse 16, he says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say 
to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is the Messiah. Seed is one of those sneaky words, you know what I mean? It can mean a singular seed or it can mean a bunch of seed, right? Paul makes sure that we understand that the blessing of God to the nations is not through the Jewish people, not through many seeds, but it comes about through one seed. It doesn't come about through the Sinai covenant. It only comes about through the seed of Abraham, who is the Messiah. He's also letting us know that the blessing of Abraham is only through the one seed that is the Messiah. Only in Messiah can you receive the blessing of Abraham. You can only be in Messiah and remain steadfast in the same faith that Abraham had if you want the blessing. That faith is such that you remain steadfast and you trust in the promises of God. That's what we learned in chapter 22. If you fail to remain steadfast in that promise of God, then you're no longer in Messiah. And you're not truly of the faith of Abraham. Now, this Midrash of the seed of Abraham being in Messiah is almost certainly a Paul original. You don't find that Midrash anywhere in literature. I kind of did a search through some of the things this week and I couldn't find anything. I did find one Midrash that speaks of uh, the seed of David and I found another one here that speaks of the seed of Seth. It says, And she called his name Seth, for God has appointed me another seed. Rabbi Takuma said in the name of Kosith, Samuel Kosith, that seed which would arise from another source, the King Messiah. So while it's not unheard of to find such a Midrash equating a seed, but you don't find it in connection with the seed of Abraham. And Paul is saying that if you want the promises of God, then you're going to have to have, they're going to have to be through Messiah. Because it's through Messiah that the promises come. And of course, this is, this is in complete agreement with the words of Yeshua. What did Yeshua say? He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. God said, through the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, the nations will be blessed. And when God says, through your seed, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me, he means all nations. How many is all? Not just Rome, not just Spain, not just the U.S. of A, but Israel as well. Nations, all nations, means all nations. So understand that Paul isn't just speaking to the Galatians here, but he's also speaking to to the influence, whether they be Jews or proselytes to Judaism. He's telling them the same thing applies to all. Chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. 
The promise is for the Jewish people and for all who are far off, meaning all the other nations. And so Paul says next in Galatians 3 and verse 17, he says, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Note that the word promise now is singular, not promises any longer. It's it's not in plural like it was in verse 16, but it's singular. Because Paul is focusing on one of the promises given to Abraham because it's paramount to the problem in Galatia. And it is the promise that all nations will be blessed through the seed. He says the law introduced later does not do away with the promise that was given earlier. And any rabbi worth his weight in salt will tell you the same thing. As an example, while there's really no evidence of of the rabbinic teaching of the Noahide laws in the first century, they really come about much later in the Talmud. But the point is, they teach that a righteous Gentile would inherit a portion in the world if they were to keep just the laws given to Noah. That teaches us that this rabbi who who taught that uh, knows that the laws given at Sinai did not replace the laws given to Noah. Well, in the same way, Paul is saying that this unconditional promise to Abraham is not rendered non-effect at Sinai either. And that's something we should all understand. We can just show this over and over in Scripture. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. We read it earlier. It says, The covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. The new does not do away with the previous covenant. The terms remain the same. But God says, I left the teaching of the previous covenant to men. And that didn't work. So with the new one, I'm going to teach them because everybody's going to know me. From the least to the greatest. And so Paul is on safe ground here. Everyone that he's talking to will understand that the law would not replace the promises given to Abraham. He doesn't have to convince anyone of that. Verse 18, he says, For if the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. You see, God didn't place any conditions on the promise. You know, God is very careful. If you read the Bible, He's very careful when He makes a covenant or a promise. When God makes a covenant with Israel, He says this. We read it earlier. We'll read it again. He says, now, if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. When God makes a covenant with Israel at Sinai, there's an if. There's a condition. If you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then comes the condition. You, if you hear my voice and obey, you will be such and such. And if you don't, you won't be such and such, right? Well, if we look at the promises given to Abraham concerning the blessing of the nations and through the seed, there's no if. There's only The only condition given is that it comes through the seed of Abraham. Through your seed, all nations will be blessed. 
You do not inherit the blessing of Abraham except through the seed. And that's exactly the point Paul wants to make. You have to remain in confidence in the Messiah. We use the words promise for Abraham and covenant for Sinai, but anciently they really represent two types of covenants. One was given by a king who took an oath to protect the people, to rule over them, to protect them, to protect the rights of the people. And of course, that promise would be not just to the people he's speaking to, but to future generations as well. And we can see this in the promise to Abraham, the promise of blessing of Abraham and to his future generations. And the promise was to protect. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Well, the other type of covenant, the the people took an oath. And it was a covenant that protected the king. The reputation of the king. And that's why we see the if here. If you do this, I will do that. To Abraham, we have a promise by God to watch over, to protect, to bless, with no conditions given to Abraham. At Sinai, we have an agreement to protect, to watch over, to bless, if you protect the name and the reputation of the king. The curses at Sinai are directed toward a people if they don't obey, and the blessing is contingent upon their obedience. So with the promise to Abraham, there is no condition. And keeping or not keeping the law given at Sinai doesn't do away with the promise. God is going to bless the nations through the seed no matter what else they do. He's going to do it. The only condition is to have faith in the Messiah Yeshua and remain steadfast in that faith in Messiah. And then you will receive the promises. Now, before someone scalps me after service, I also want to say, I said the law or keeping the law has nothing to do with the promise. But not keeping the commands of God is not really an option because your faith will lead you, will have the same effect on you as it had on Abraham in that he obeyed God. Because that is what faith did to Abraham. Paul's point is that, really though, that all is required is to have faith in this promise. The fact is, the law has nothing at all to do with the promise. As Paul will point out, next, it was given for an entirely different reason. So that he answers the question, which would be the next obvious question from anybody, well, then why did God give the law? So he, that's what he says. Well, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. You know, sadly, in the church, we've looked at this argument of Paul's as God laying a trap for the people of Israel. Done in his commentary on Galatians. I almost wanted to read it, but he he takes several pages to point out how the church has read this in a negative light rather than in a positive light. Because if you read Paul's words in a positive light, you come up with something entirely different than what the church has come up with. Let's read this from another translation that I like just a little bit better. It's not that much better, but it is a little. And that's Daniel Gruber's Messianic Writings. Then why the law? 
because it was added in response to transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. It was mandated through angels in the hand of an intermediary. An intermediary, however, is not just between one, but God is one. And so why the law? Well, it was added to show how God is going to deal with transgression. The transgression was there. The law is added to show how God's going to deal with it. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says, Messiah is the goal of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Messiah is the goal of the law. Messiah is the point of the law. The law was given to point the way to Messiah. So the Torah taught how God would deal with transgressions of the people. How is he going to deal with transgression? Well, Leviticus chapter 4 tells us, If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he's guilty. When he is made aware of the sin he has committed, he must bring an offering for the sin he committed, a female goat without defect. You see, the Torah was given to make Israel aware of God's righteous standards and to show them where they failed and more important, to show them how God would deal with their transgression. How would He deal with them was through an offering. He would not destroy a person for their transgression, but make them aware and give them an offering a means to atone for that transgression in the offering. The offering for sin was the goal of the Torah. He would offer his life as a sin offering for the sins of many. It was given until the promised seed would come and bring the blessing of Abraham. And that's what Paul says. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Messiah that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. You see, the key element here is and always has been faith. The same trust in God that Abraham had. But the, the Torah wasn't given as a trap. God forbid, it's not impossible to keep. Remember from the book of Romans, Paul tells us. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Torah is impossible, not impossible to keep. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30 to tell us that. If you put it in your heart, the Torah is a guide for your life and a teaching of the Messiah. It's not a trap, far be it. It contains the remedy for all mankind. How can that be a trap? Faith in the promises of God. It's a blessing in that it tells you how to live a life that pleases God, and in doing so, you bring honor to the king. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this. Listen to what he says about the Torah. I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to the nations 
Who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great to have their gods near them the way the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? They weren't given as a trap, but to bring honor to the people and honor to God. They were given to Israel so that they would be a nation that God could bless and be near. The Torah was given to give life and life abundant to Israel. And all the nations who put their faith in God's remedy for sin, the Messiah Yeshua. In speaking of the future restoration in in Deuteronomy 30, God says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow His commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you, a pros- make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb. The young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as He delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord and keep His commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. The God of Abraham doesn't lay traps for people. The God of Abraham is concerned with people. He gave the commands to make them a people that would live righteous lives and who would bring honor to the nation and to the God of Israel. It was not a trap. It was a remedy for the transgressions of the people. That remedy for transgression of sin in the life of the Israelite was just an example of the salvation that God was offering for all of mankind. That God was going to offer for all of mankind. As Isaiah says in chapter 53, Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Lord, Though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. You see, the Torah was given to teach of the love of God for the whole of his creation until the love of God would come and remedy the sins that separated God from His creation. The law wasn't given as a trap, as it's often read into these verses, but as a remedy for sin, to make you aware and give you a remedy. It makes us conscious of sin and gives us the remedy for those transgressions so that we might learn and move on to lives that bring honor to ourselves and to God. One of the truly sad things that's happening to the church today is the dishonor that we bring to the Creator. As I said earlier, the law was a covenant that not only made promises to bless and to protect the people, 
But the ifs were there to protect the character of the king. To ensure that he wouldn't be blessing wickedness. We call ourselves Christians and followers of the God of Israel and then we take the don'ts of God and make them do's. Or we make sin not sin. And we dishonor God. We misrepresent God to the world. When the fruit of the Spirit says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Yeshua by the Spirit of our God. And then, when we allow those things within the walls of our church... We not only allow, but celebrate those things. We dishonor. We misrepresent the king. We make a mockery of the righteousness of God. When God says these are wicked and we say they're righteous, there is no more sin grievous, no more sin that's more grievous than that. And sadly, that's exactly what's happening in the church today. We're calling what's wicked right. Because we've taken the attitude that the law is invalid and the morals contained within need to be reinterpreted for our time. And in doing so, we make a mockery of Yeshua and the love of God that He gave in His Son so that we might live righteous lives. It's bad enough that our government does it. But that we do it in the church is even sadder. The saddest thing I ever heard happened this week. One of the saddest things I've ever seen. I just, I nearly wept. And that was in the courthouse in Minneapolis, they placed a plaque in remembrance of the day that the state of Minnesota started marrying people of the same sex. A testimony! Right there on the wall for everybody to see and for judgment on that day. We've judged ourselves. And we're so proud of it, we put up a plaque. Oy 